0: Welcome to the Climate Capital Podcast, where we interview founders who are solving the most difficult and important decarbonization problems in the world. Climate Capital, across our funds and syndicate, is one of the most active funders of early stage climate tech uh, globally. This episode is led by me, Michael. Uh, I'm one of the GPs of Climate Capital's BioFund, and today I am interviewing my colleague VJ. This is a little bit of a different format for us because VJ is not one of the portfolio founders uh, that we've invested in, but rather someone that I I work with at Climate Capital who is launching a new program, a founder in that sense. In that we're about, he's about to create something out of nothing, uh, which is always a difficult proposition, and it's a program that we are very excited about. So before we dive into what this is. Vijay, would you mind introducing yourself for the audience?
1: Sure. Uh, So Vijay Rajendran, I'm based in the San Francisco Bay Area. I work uh, with 500 Global, where I lead our portfolio value team. And so I I get to work with hundreds of different startups uh, around the world. And I I come to this opportunity and and a way to really impact climate. Having been an entrepreneur in commerce and and fintech before, as well as uh, An and advisor on product and, and and strategy for both startups and big companies.
0: Amazing, thank you. And in addition to the work that you do at five hundred, you are also working with us at Climate Capital. Can you explain a little more kind of what you're focused on in each of those roles?
1: Yeah, of course. So you know, I I came to Climate Capital interested in uh, in mm-hmm. investing and in learning more about how. You know I could take the longstanding interest I had in climate and also um the current experiences I have uh, and what what that uh, looks like is you know working closely as uh, an advisor to the the team on on different uh, aspects of you know how to engage the l p and founder community with content as well as today forming this program uh, which we we think there's um a huge opportunity for related to angel investing, and uh, and basically education for angel investors, which looks a little bit different in in climate compared to some of the, the other verticals inside of tech.
0: Perfect. Before we get into the program that you've mentioned and that we are rolling out here for new angel investors in climate, just tell us a little bit more about the work that you do with 500.
1: Sure. So, at five hundred, we're an uh, early stage investor. We're often the first institutional check, and and like to say we we lead with seed. Uh, we have a flagship accelerator in the US that uh, has uh, companies from around the world uh, who I get to work with, as well as with our different regional funds uh, in places like Latin America, the Middle East, and Southeast Asia, uh, and 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 other markets. And so, the work we do really comes down to you know, how do we provide community capital and connections that make the experience for founders better and improve their odds of success? Uh, because particularly at the Series A and, and before stages, uh, we know that there's a lot of trials and tribulations the, and their odds of success are pretty harsh. So um, how can we, um, you know, reduce that friction, improve the, the runway and the my path for our, our founders uh, through the different levers we have at scale is is kind of what we aim to do.
0: So you kind of start out your journey, if I'm hearing you correctly, is an entrepreneur, and now you're supporting entrepreneurs at 500, and then working with us at Climate Capital to have that specific climate impact lens.
1: That's right, and and I think it also you know is on top of uh, my like sort of personal journey as an investor. Uh, and of the uh, perhaps the a bit dated philosophy of venture capital is is, is something you you can uh, get better at with time. It's it's sort of like uh, golf or something like that. The hopefully uh, cumulative value of, of of experiences and things uh, that I've seen and done uh, may improve that lens and shape the the way I, I see opportunities.
0: And you had mentioned to me before we started the recording. I think that. You got the entrepreneurship bug when you're still in college. Yeah. can you tell us that story?
1: yeah, of course. so uh, when I was uh, in college, and this was the just a really interesting time I remember I graduated high school and and went to college like companies uh, like Netscape and Yahoo and Amazon were going public and there there was a real like change of course, in uh, the types of businesses that were were uh, that were emerging and, and you felt were going to define the future. This was still a time when, according to Fortune Magazine, like um, GE was the most admired company in America. You know that that mm-hmm. it was you know that, that that era lasts a lot longer than than, than one might uh, think. I remember the summer of ninety nine uh, was sort of like kind of the height of the dot com period. Um, I turned down an opportunity to go work at a currency trading desk at a bank uh, and worked at a. Uh, a small uh, venture leasing company based in Boston, uh, which is still around and, um, and and privately owned, but did amazing work with like a lot of high profile companies, some of whom were going public at the time. So to see that, to think about credit from the perspective of a, a startup with early revenue and uh, not the typical like profile uh, of underwriting, but which which needed fixed assets was really important. And, and when I say needed fixed assets. Now, this is a time when people used to say, you know, we're launching a website, which means we need to buy servers, we need a few hundred thousand dollars to buy a server or two. And then if we're really successful, then those servers crash, and then we need to buy more servers in order to, you know, keep growing uh, a business. And so in the pre-cloud era, that's generally what starting and trying to scale an internet company looked mm-hmm. like. It was very mm-hmm. much constrained by atoms and not by bits. And so, getting exposed to that was really exciting. I moved to New York after school, uh, after the the dot com bubble was uh, deflating. I think the market crashed like a month before I graduated college. Uh, but you know, got <laughs> to work with startups uh, in um, in what we were then calling Silicon Alley, uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, and and then stepped away from tech for a little bit uh, because you know that's how bad the dot com bust was. But truly, it was such a a thrill. And most people will go on a roller coaster ride like that and throw up afterwards. Um, But like I, (laughs) I, I had a great time, and I was like, you know, I I will, you know, always enjoy this and and this kind of ride the most.
0: Fast forwarding a little bit, the ride that we're talking about today is really the climate tech entrepreneurs that we invest in through Climate Capital and helping to build a program for new angel investors to get involved. So let's let's switch gears and talk about that program. What's it called and what should people know about it?
1: So the program that we're pleased to share is called Climate Angels. And the Climate Angels program is to prepare new angel investors to start their climate investing journey, um, which is not going to be theoretical. It's going to be Very practical, and it's not going to be some sort of um, you know self-paced exercise. It's something that can be done alongside the climate capital team. So this is going to be something that when someone asks themselves, "Should I be angel investing, or do I even care about an area enough to angel invest?" We can answer some of those questions, and people can explore that for themselves uh, through the, the the program as well as uh, come to to understand, uh, perhaps in a way they hadn't uh, before, some of the, the deep topics that are out there in the, the climate and tech space.
0: And you had mentioned that investing in Climate Angel or otherwise is very different than perhaps investing in kind of the classic software verticals that Silicon Valley is known for. Can you give an example of, of what those differences are that might trip people up?
1: Yeah, if you think about the the last few years, and you can uh, look at some of the companies that have gone public or uh, become decacorns, megacorns, whatever, like they are companies that basically didn't have a lot of technical risk; they had a lot of market risk, and then they uh, they they grew very quickly to just grab customers and, and and to grab a whole space. Where we are now with climate is we have a number of areas. Uh, that you know, most people would just group as deep tech, right? There mm-hmm. is there is actual technical risk, and and certainly you know this with fund capital bio is you know our our opportunity to see these technical risks and to compare them and understand them is another skill set on top of market risk. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say uh, while most venture investing throughout history has included some aspect of either market or technical risk, this is also. Combined with something I saw early in my career as uh, someone in in, in fintech um, building and, um, uh, and and growing companies, there is that there's this regulatory aspect. So you have technical market and regulatory risk, mm-hmm. uh, and and so this doesn't make your um, your world when it comes to adoption uh, necessarily easier. It makes it a little more complicated. But uh, when you can can see, oh wow, actually the regulatory risk is declining because of some change in the public policy, or you're looking for it and you see the market is 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 ready for uh for new types of behaviors and things that uh, customers will adopt, then your three lenses come into focus and, and you see the right thing. So that's how I would encourage people to think about you know, what makes uh investing in the space a little bit different.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me and even even in my own experience working on the climate Capitals bio Fund, I've found that you know the majority of folks when they think about climate investing, think about shutting off coal-fired power plants and investing in solar panels and are often surprised to learn the way we generate electricity only accounts for about a quarter of global annual greenhouse gas emissions. And so there's this much larger picture of what is needed from a climate investment perspective than people often uh, first realize. And it's a lot more in how we make goods, how we make buildings, how we transport ourselves and those physical goods around. And there's a lot of complexity there. So,
1: And that's very true. What, what we What we eat the things we we kind of like do after all of the act- business activities that we see are uh, are just kind of under the surface opportunities beyond energy transition. That if anyone wanted to have a way to like go deep and explore this and develop their own thesis, their own ideas, uh, you know, there's uh, an opportunity to do this through Climate Angels. It, it's not just like here's a spreadsheet and now you know how to invest. Uh, we we want to understand the. The, the the different verticals and fields within this, this space. Yeah,
0: you know, I think angel investing is generally thought of as something that happens at the very early stage of a company's life cycle. And that evaluation criteria at that early stage is often a lot more squishy than a later stage investment. For po- folks that aren't familiar, can you briefly describe what's different between kind of early stage investment where angels invest versus later stage investors, and what what each look for.
1: Absolutely, and and, and Michael, I'll, I'll kind of like explain some of the different uh, sort of uh, characteristics of early versus mm-hmm. late. So uh, at a at the early stage, let's say that's before the company has any kind of product market fit, uh, and so they may have a prototype, they may have some early product, they might have or may not have revenue, and those are all what we could call pre-series A some form of um you know idea to uh to seed stage uh kind of moments and milestones late stage uh, you have startups where um the product and the market are pretty clear the company is going after new segments of that market or maybe scaling to uh some adjacent markets or new geographies or things like that uh, in an effort to Go from uh, being an emergent company to a more mature one, and I would never have like thought of myself saying like, "Oh, yes, yeah, so a late stage startup is becoming a mature company." But some of these businesses have been private for mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. like ten years, uh, yeah. and they they've been private for ten years. They have thousands of employees that are like very big. They have you know sort of contracts with uh, the the biggest uh, corporations, and and they have departments and bureaucracies that that, that, that start to, to to look like um, a, a big company. They're probably still more agile than most of the Fortune 500. But that's what you start to see in a, in a late stage uh, company. So thinking about how different that is, right, you have a lot of process and a lot of um, systems in place to uh, a moment where everything looks kind of messy and chaotic. And mm-hmm. uh, at the early stage, a unicorn doesn't look like a, a unicorn. It just, it looks like a company that is still figuring a lot of things out. So to expect everything to be buttoned down and clear is unrealistic. So breaking it apart, like, where are you really? And if people say, okay, well, I am, I have a product, but no revenue. Then you ask people about their go-to-market and you want to like mm-hmm. really drill down on that. They maybe have initial revenue. You want to say like, what are your Customers say about the product: Are they churning? Like, what, what? How likely are they to recommend you to someone else? Like, you want to find companies that are generating revenue that have early innovator, like early, early, early adopters that are enthusiastic and can't live without this uh, new product or service. So, you're the, the indicators you're looking at are squishy, but they are very much about: Is this company executing for that? like little early stage moment that they are in
0: yeah i i often think about this my i have a brother that works in private equity and it's very a very different world right it's like private equity later stage companies you're looking at cash flow and you're saying great like based on the last 5 years of cash flow what does year 6 look like whereas early stage startups it's more like we have no cash flow <laughs> like yeah. well, based on our idea what could the world look like if it really succeeds and
1: Right, like the cash flow projection is—it's all terminal value. It's all the, right. the the option value of this company to either grow its market itself or to be acquired um, or, or be a part of uh, another business, uh, as a, as opposed to the, I guess the the annuity of cash flows that you might get from a more uh, traditional private equity business.
0: Yep. So, who is the right person to sign up for the program? Should they have angel invested before? should they work adventure should should they not? who are you hoping will join this cohort?
1: We're very open to a number of different profiles. However, this program is is going to be designed for people who have either uh, done a little bit of angel investing um, and want to explore what their opportunities are uh, in in the climate world uh, and it should be like people who are climate enthusiasts uh, that that haven't done any angel investing. Um, And it might be that you're neither, but I think one of the the important things to mention is that uh, the Climate Angel Program is open to individual accredited investors interested in climate technology and angel investing. So not on behalf of a fund and uh, not many retail investors that that wouldn't meet that official definition of, of accredited.
0: Got it. And what ideally will these people have learned by the end of the program? And how long is the program?
1: So the program is six weeks, not necessarily six consecutive weeks. There will be a little bit of time spaced out because of holidays as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. uh, Some time to fulfill uh, a a end of of program assignment. But in that time, people are going to get uh, a number of benefits uh, from it. So one is uh, to develop a robust investment thesis. Maybe you're interested in uh, what investment opportunities are in regenerative agriculture or the energy transition or uh, in, in the use of uh, AI and um, in mobility. and so you you can actually develop a thesis and get feedback on it and, and improve it and so that's one part. There's also methods uh, to sourcing hyper potential startups and so. It doesn't feel like, you know, just a lot of scouring the internet, and you may have a, your own process that you can develop and eva- uh, for that, as well as how to evaluate those startups. And so by the end, the thesis, how you source, how you pick, um, how you then syndicate, and then how you build. So providing advice or guidance to portfolio companies based on perhaps something uh, people know or have learned um, can be something that uh, is also included here. Uh, and that's where, you know, there are former founders or current founders who may be great candidates who may have not seen themselves as angel investors or may have had it on their mind to start. Um, but want to have a, a process for doing it. So it doesn't feel like an ad hoc thing, uh, who can start with that superpower of, of building and then just add like the, the other capabilities. So, uh, that's how we see it all end to end in terms of the things that people can take
0: away. Awesome. In terms of kind of folks choosing to angel invest or thinking about angel investing within climate, I think the conversation has changed a lot over the past decade where fewer and fewer people think of climate investing as impact first and return second. I think it's increasingly common for people to think climate investing is in itself a very reasonable category for profit-motivated venture dollars. But I would love it if you could lay out kind of the way that you see climate as an investable category and the way that you will hopefully be walking through that case with the participants of the program.
1: A hundred percent. I think that uh, we are now far into this, this world where we see opportunities to invest in climate as, uh, as something that are, are economically motivated and, and not uh, socially uh, driven despite the conversation that's happening in public markets about ESG you no know, it's it's clear that in the long term we have to decarbonize or we have to make uh in investments that allow us to mitigate climate risks and things like that and uh those uh, mean that we're able to continue economically and and you know whether it's coming from a regulatory perspective or it's because of like huge social changes we see whether it's the IRA or recent law passed in California about, you know, em- emissions transparency or just people saying like, Hey, all these floods and fires, we've had enough. We're at a moment where this is far beyond uh, just doing something uh, that's, that's nice to have or socially uh, good. Uh, and, and it's going to have uh, an ability for us to continue as as a society and because it's an economic necessity to have this investment in these these technologies
0: yeah i couldn't agree more obviously having made the decision to work in this area i I think that what people don't realize is, is that the investable categories the total addressable markets within climate are unbelievably large where instead of talking about like the internal business communications need for corporations. You're talking about all food eaten by humans. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, when you get into the numbers, they they, they seem unbelievable because people are throwing yeah. around terms like trillions of dollars. So um, one of my, my my colleagues likes to point out that one of the development banks says there'll be a, you know, a huge two to ten percent decrease in, um, in economic output if we uh, continue on our current path uh, because of climate-related natural disasters and, mm. and things like that, which mean trillions and trillions of dollars by the year twenty fifty. Like maybe like somewhere between ten and twenty trillion dollars. Again, unbelievable and unfathomable amounts of money for anyone, including ourselves. But where you break it down is. From a business continuity standpoint, um, do you want to be open for business? Do you want your goods to arrive uh, for the holidays? Do you uh do you care if you can cut your uh energy and utilities bills by not like a couple of percentage points, but like 20, 30 percent? Uh can we um move to a, a world where uh the 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 food we uh we eat Is uh, is affordable uh, because right now uh, the cost of living crisis and inflation is very hard for many many people and 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 it's a huge source of stress. Like people, whether you're rich or poor, uh, red state, blue state, uh, whatever, like we all agree on those things. Like those those are necessities and they're becoming uh, imperiled. And so people will pay money to solve those problems. Uh, And that's where there is like a huge justification for climate related investment.
0: Absolutely. You know, my understanding is that you are in many ways building the program that you wish you had been able to participate in as you were thinking about, you know, going from operator to supporting a portfolio of companies to angel investor. Can you tell us about the process you went through to learn and why you have built this in the way that you have based on that experience?
1: Yeah. I, when I was a kid, I was like one of those kids that was like, you know, organizing a fundraiser to save rainforest land or something like that, right? And so mm-hmm. I was interested in conservation, and then thought, well, you know, I I'm a, a later in life, I'm a business person. I, I guess I'm using my skills to do other things in commerce and in, in fintech and in, in whatever. And now I realize, oh wow, we have business solutions that can help us solve the things that I've cared about and a lot of people have cared about deeply for their their whole lives. And and so when I see this program coming together, instead of saying, okay, I'm ready to angel press, I don't know what to do and what to look for. And I think I'm just gonna like do a lot of window shopping. Uh and and I did like two or three years of just not writing a check, but just mm-hmm. like learning, figuring it out, wondering, writing a memo and I gave it to someone and I gave them like some feedback. And then they said like, yeah, this doesn't show conviction or this or that. And Maybe I don't want to actually uh, invest or and then like thinking, okay, you have to invest also with some concept of of a limited pool of money, uh, not just saying, yes, sure, thumbs up, I support this company. It becomes really different. And so those realities of investing are really important because investing is a little bit like entrepreneurship. You've got to actually do it uh, in order to learn it. The best way to do it is to just get started. It took me a slow start that I want to be able to truncate and accelerate for people who are coming to this in this particular way.
0: So far in your journey as an investor, are there any lessons that you feel like you've learned that you wish you had known in the beginning?
1: Yes. I I think the thing uh, I would have wanted to ask myself is, what are my superpowers as as an investor? And can I apply that to this company? Because it's very easy to to look at some, some deals and say, uh, yeah, you know, this makes sense. But there is a lot of uh, Dunning-Kruger effect uh, in investing, <laughs> meaning that people uh, overestimate their abilities, particularly when they get started, or they uh, don't know what they don't know, which is human nature. And so thinking about what I really know, and does this allow me to see this company in a unique way, is probably the most important thing. And then secondly, it comes down to, to markets, uh, whether or not this is a newer potential market and, and the quality of the, the team, which is a really hard thing to, uh, assess because every team sounds, uh, great in that moment when they're pitching. But, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I, would say that that matters, uh, a ton. And there's more, uh, related to due diligence and thinking about like evaluating technology and so forth. Uh, but you know, we, we look forward to getting into that in the
0: program. Awesome. If someone is listening and they're thinking to themselves, they really want to either apply for the program or learn more or recommend it to a friend. Where should they go? What, what should they do?
1: Check out our website uh, at Climate Capital. Uh, we've put up a page where you can see more about our program. It's uh, ClimateCapital.co/slash Climate Angels, uh, and there we have some information in terms of the structure, the things uh, that that folks will learn. And also the kind of community and network we're looking to build among this like emergent group of future climate angels.
0: Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to share about either your own experience or about the program?
1: I think the biggest thing I want to share is there's a a Mark Twain quote I'm, I'm fond of, which is the best way to get ahead is to get started. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wish I could go back in time and say that to my former self. Uh, is, is that you know <laughs> one just needs to get started? And I think a lot of us in the climate space, seeing where we are now, just wish we could have gotten started building companies or investing and supporting them or or, or doing things even sooner. So uh, that that's my takeaway.
0: Perfect. Well, as as much as that seems like a perfect place to end the episode, I do want to add just my own personal experience after after selling my company I wanted to get into this space as an angel investor and as an investor and you know to me I I didn't have the network where I was seeing deals on a regular basis and I didn't have a community of like fellow angel investors around me and so building those things with climate capital and climate capital now being able to share our community and share our, our deal flow with this group i think it's been really difficult but very impactful and you know i think one of the, one of the benefits of the program that i'm excited about is the group that's going to participate not having to start those processes from zero right getting started but getting started with a little bit of a head start even
1: yeah that that's really important and we're excited to bring together Right people for this inaugural cohort who want to be change agents, but also want to be leaders in that community themselves uh, and, and create a really dynamic group uh, that keeps getting better over time.
0: Amazing. All righty, sir. Well, I think that is probably a wrap for us. I want to say thank you to everyone for listening to my conversation with VJ about both VJ's journey and and about the Climate Angel program. If you'd like to learn more about the Climate Angel program or just learn more about what we're doing at Climate Capital, you can check out our website, climatecapital.co. Thank you again for listening. VJ, thank you again for for taking the time to talk with me and catch everybody next time.